Romans chapter 14 this morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Romans 14. We're going to do a little bit of a review. Just for my friend Sean here. He loves reviews. He complains every Sunday. I don't know what they talked about last week, so I'm going to have to have a review. That's right. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this day, Lord. Thank you, Father, for our Bible, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the Apostle Paul, Father. We thank you, Lord, that we can learn from your word of God this morning, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Romans 14, we, I'm going to go real fast through this thing here because I don't want to lose anybody. Or if I lost, I can pick it back up again. Or if I haven't lost you, I will lose you. It works, <laughs> works in many ways. So Romans 14 is about scruples. scruples. Good. Who said that? Five. Scrumptious scruples. Yeah. <laughs> scruples, because that's not a breakfast cereal. That's actually something. So a scruple or a, a, a conviction, as it's called sometimes, is a dictate of conscience that inhibits one's actions. There's nothing wrong with that. And these are not scriptural differences. These are just uh, immaterial things. I got a conviction against this, or I got a scruple about that. That's okay, just as long as we don't expect everybody else to accept your beliefs, and it's not used as a test of spirituality. He doesn't do this, or she doesn't do, or she does do this. I can't be their friend, or they're less than spiritual. That's when it's wrong. That's what Paul's talking about here. We defined a few words last week. Talked about the weak. Verse number one talks about the weak in the faith. Then there's this implied strong Christian. Who are they? It's not what you think. The weak are the ones that have scruples. No, they don't have scruples, whether you're strong or weak. It's just they have so many that, that they're, they're just paralyzed in them. They can't move. They can't accept anybody that doesn't accept what they believe. And I told you some experiences we've had in different churches about what people wear and all that kind of stuff, how they look. Um, and they would judge them on that as how spiritual they are. So scriptures are spiritually neutral. They're immaterial as far as God's word goes. As, far as Christ goes, they're just piddly things that you believe real strong, and then you can't believe why everybody else doesn't believe them too. And we all have things in our personal lives that we we believe real strongly, and and they're important to us. But if someone else doesn't do it, and and it causes strife in a church, that's when it's a problem. We've been through that. I told you last week. My wife, wife and I, um, we defined amoral as something that is not wrong in and of itself. And then we define immoral as something that is wrong in and of itself. It's immoral. It's wrong. Okay? And then we talked about the problem begins when these amoral, not important things, are not wrong in themselves, become wrong because other people don't like them. And they approach you and try to change you. I told you about the thing in Germany. A couple churches, or several churches we were in. Women would get attacked right off the bat if they didn't wear the right attire to church. Men would get attacked if you weren't look so like me. I mean, not I mean what I was wearing. <laughs> so I got to be short, fat, bald, and ugly, or I can't be going. No, you had to be dressed a certain way, or, or, or they would approach you about it. Hey, in this church, we do we do this, and that's wrong. Amen. That's wrong. What does God care about? 
Yeah. If God wants you to change, who's going to change you? Holy Spirit's going to change you. That's right. So Paul's strongest emphasis here, all this going on, and we had a, a church in Rome was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. So the Jews came out of that type of life. They were trying to keep the law. They were used to all these rules and regulations. It didn't make, make a lot of sense to me, but they had to follow them. They were used to that. Gentiles weren't. What did they come out of? The world. The world. This was all new to them. Oh, we, we got we to gotta dress up for church? I mean, we got to dress for church? I mean, we've got to wear clothes to church. You know, they were, they were different. It was different to them. So Paul's job or his, his mission was trying to contain the problem, not solve it, contain it and keep strong Christians working together in the church. Because if there's so much strife, after a while, I've got that T-shirt three times now. It's, it's terrible, but it happens. It gets strife. Churches are, are split over very seldom are they doctrinal issues. It's just silly things. That's right. But it festers, and then it gets ridiculously out of control, and then it, it's gone. And people split off, and it's terrible. And you hear about it, and you see it, and it happens. It happens to this day, even. It happens. So Paul cautions that what a Christian does or doesn't do, as long as it's not immoral, is not a test of a person's spirituality. Uh, I watch TV sometimes. Some churches, no. Uh, or you do this sometimes, no. Can't do that. You're less than spiritual if you do that. You know, they want you to be, you know, totally, you know, without everything in your life. All the do's and don'ts and things you can't do. You know, we read some things in churches, the membership, this is what you got to do, don't do. Couldn't do those things. Said, no, nah, sorry. Show me scripture. You know, and uh, so in uh, last week we left off in verse number, we finished up verse number five here, I think. It's, we're talking about judging others, how it's wrong to judge someone else. Who are we to judge? He that judges gets judged by somebody else. Judging a fellow Christian tends to freeze them. Right there, someone wears something you don't like or someone looks somewhere or whatever it is, someone's done something in their past, you judge that and they're frozen right there in your mind. That's where they are. They will always be Rahab the... Harlot. No. She's a great, great, great grandmother, you know. She's in the lineage of Christ. Amen. But it's Rahab the harlot because we judged her. So... That's, people had that mindset. I remember him. He's the one that did this. Well, is he doing it now? No, but he, you know, that's the way you see him. That's what judging does to you. It makes you see that person frozen in time from the time they said, did, or whatever it was, that you judge them, and that's what you see when you see them. That's wrong. Amen. You need to be out of that. You always be judged in that same, same manner. Verse number 5 in our text in Romans 14. Let me find it here. Verse number five, I mean, yeah, verse, verse number five. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully, what? Persuaded in his own mind. Many Christians of Jewish background 
had faithfully, faithfully observed all these Sabbath days and special days and festivals and blah, there's a lot of them. Holidays and things that they esteem. They'll do something on that day or they'll, they'll do, have some events on that day, whatever it is. They got a lot of them. And they still kept those in mind. They esteemed those days better than other days. They accounted them as more holy than other days. And here's a Gentile. They're just glad to have a day. Every day's a gift of life for them. Amen. You know, they, they, don't, they don't care about all these things. They may have a day here. They may have a birthday. You know, whatever else they may think is worth observing they may have a few of them but they more easily accepted christianity and didn't have these days to worry about the jews had to deal with this stuff remember i was talking i was teaching hebrews and he's the these jewish christians couldn't let it go and then they had their friends that weren't saved pulling them back into judaism or saying hey we're going to go to the festival of whatever it is would you come with us and they'd go and they couldn't Get away from it. They couldn't separate themselves from what they 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 believed, and uh, so that's not necessarily wrong. It's just wrong when you expect everybody else to observe those days. So Paul's saying here that every man be persuaded in his own mind. If it's not important to you, if it doesn't mean anything to you, why do it? Okay. Amen. Um, there's holidays we have now that I don't really care about. Don't bother me a bit. I mean. Can't think of any right now. Oh, Halloween, all these piddly holidays we have, I don't care about that. Amen. You know? And especially if I didn't get a day off, I didn't care about them. <laughs> well, that's the only time they're important is if you get a three-day weekend or something. You know, if it's not that, who cares? You know? Amen. I don't really care. Those are the only days that really count. In the military especially. Amen. Yeah, three-day weekend or something. So, Paul was saying, let every man be persuaded in his own mind. What's important to you? But you got to be persuaded. That, that persuasion, that things of this kind, uh, and, and whatever else there is, are not hard-pressed as matters of conscience, but every man's got to examine him for himself and his family and act accordingly. Paul's direction here as it pertains to these, these, these days and, and talked about uh, dietary things last week are, you know, pray about it. You make a decision. Scripture, pray. What's right for you? That's what you believe. That's fine. But don't expect everybody else to feel the same way necessarily. There are some things we do feel the same way about. Church service days, that's, a, that's an important day. You've got to be here. Uh, Lord's Supper, got to be here. Tithing, got to be here. What? That's not a day. That's every Sunday or whenever. Okay, but those are things that we do that, that we do do. Then we do them. So, just, back, just like if, if the <clears throat> Jews esteemed it wrong to eat meat, he was to abstain from that. Gentiles esteemed it right. I esteem it right. Sean esteems it right. He burns that stuff. But um, 
You know, it's made up by examination of Scripture and prayer. God is just right for me and my family. Pray about it. Amen. That's important. Verse number six. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth it not regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, or giveth uh, God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. God, I'm glad I don't have to eat fish. I'm glad I don't have to eat vegetables. <laughs> Honoring God. I don't have to eat that stuff. My wife says that. I got a scruple about that. You know? I just don't do it. Amen. So Paul here explains that these these two avenues, these the, these two uh, types of thinking, it's good to do it, thank God for it, or not do it, still thank God for it. They're the same parallel track. What's the important thing? The important thing is they're trying to serve God and please God. Amen. If following your convictions doesn't please God, you know, I don't understand that, it still pleases God. Because it's not scriptural, it's not immoral, it's not against God. God is, uh, is, is concerned with our sincere and conscientious behavior in all things that are indifferent, and it's greater importance to do what pleases God. I know lots of folks that have tried to be conformed to what's the norm. Don't worry about that. Do what pleases God. Amen. That's the important thing. If it pleases God, you're going to stick to it. If you don't get to please man or be in the crowd of the group, teenagers, not too many teenagers left, but the peer pressure's there. If you do it to conform to that, it's not sincere. You know? One of the great facts of Christian service is that God judges Christians on more regard to their purpose, their sincere purpose, than the degree of perfection in what they do. Let me give you a for example. Who was the worst soul winner? Jonah, Jonah or the other Oa starts with a J. Well, it starts with an N. Noah. Noah was the worst soul winner. He had 120 years. That's right. Not a single convert. Preached, preached, preached. And if God was judging for results, man. Wouldn't have made it, would he? Amen. Did he try? Did he do what God told him to do? He did it. What does God judge? He did it. You know? But who obeyed God to the saving of all the animals and mankind? No. That's right. He obeyed that. He built this boat. He and Pastor watched these videos on this boat builder guy building a wooden boat. You know, all the modern tools and stuff. It took him a long time to build this boat. And we would like to see the video of that. It'd be neat to watch. All the stuff he had to do, wouldn't it? <laughs> all the planks and all that stuff. That'd be neat. Special epoxies. No, I'd do it by hand. He'd use pitch, sticky sap to put on everything, you know. A whole different thing. But he did it. He stuck to it. He pleased God. Amen. And he was when he was done, God was able to use that. God did use that. God had to use that. That's what God was concerned about. Paul 
kind of leans back on the Corinthians church, which was about as poor a specimen as a, as a, as a uh, spiritual Christian community as you can find anywhere, Corinthians. Uh, but he told them, look at, the, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. For example, if a church had a number of problems, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, what did Paul say? He said, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given to you by Christ Jesus. He still loved those folks. He still tried to correct the things that needed to be corrected. But he loved them. And he saw God's grace in them. They didn't get a whole lot done. They were confused a lot. They did some things that was, they had some beliefs that were really off kilter. Verse number seven back in our text here in Romans. Oops, that was in chapter 16. It was salute somebody. So no, I didn't salute anybody in chapter 14. Verse number seven. I had to look up all those guys in chapter 16. I was going to read a, write a long story on all of them, but. I cut a short story on all of them. Well, a lot of people. Never heard of them before, never heard them again, but you know, a few of them you have, but a lot of guys there saluting. It's a lot of saluting. <laughs> I was an officer in the army. I didn't have to do that walking around, just walking like this all the time. You know? Verse number seven. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Paul's meaning here is that whatever a man does or however he lives, it is his relationship to the Lord that determines that. That's, that's the important thing. Amen. Not just the things such as eating or dietary things or observing days. Or not. It's how do you please God? Can God use you? It's the sense of belonging that we have, not to ourselves, but to God. Too many folks have eye trouble. I trouble, me trouble. And they get stuck on these things and they can't serve God. They can't get over it or through it or, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's in their way. They can't get around it. The important thing is pleasing God. Verse 8 for, oh, I'm still in the wrong chapter. Here we go. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, Therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Amen. This is the grand purpose of the Christian. You may have noticed when you got saved, I said this before, when you got saved, you were still here. You may have, you may have noticed that. We're still here. Why? I mean, not like we're at the bus stop doing a thousand yard stair waiting for the bus. We're, we're here because we've got to serve God. God's going to use us. Amen. We're God's tools here. So, we do what pleases God. We do His will. We promote His glory. So other people may live to gratify, to gratify themselves, but the Christian lives to do those things which pleases God. That's our job. That's why we're here. Verse 9, And uh, for to this end, this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that He might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. This is the purpose or the design, the end. Why did God do this? This is the end. For the, to this end, the purpose or, divine, or, or, or design, uh, and he's talking about Christ's death, the reason for that was 
so we could serve God. We could live and serve God. And he could be the God of the living and the... Is he the God of the dead in Christ? Yeah. Yes, he, is. he is. In all circumstances, this is versus saying we're the Lord's. Right. No matter what's going on. No matter what's going on in our lives. Amen. We're the Lord's. And we're his. He's ours. But he died in order to do this. And he rose, it says here. This expression is rejected by a lot of modern day commentators. They just cut that out. He rose. Is that important? Yeah. A lot of folks just die for you. Buddha died. He's not alive now. He didn't die for anybody. He just died because he, whatever it was, he died. Uh, Christ died for us. He rose again and revived. Refers to the resurrection. He was restored to life that he might exercise lordship over his creation. The dead and the living. As it says, they're both to the dead, those that are gone to heaven, he still ministers to them. And the living, to the redeemed, while they remain in this life, he died to purchase them to himself. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For we are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are, yeah, not your own. We're bought with a price, therefore glorify. He died for a purpose, and that's it. Verse 10, but why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The, the, happy, the unhappy manner of Paul's question here shows not only disappointment, but, but amazement how folks could just battle and strife and pick on people, judge them. Amen. There's stuff to do for Christ, and some churches are just stuck in this rut you got to meet these requirements before you can do anything else. You got, you know, you got. They're worried about people, what they're wearing to church, more than they are the guy next door, and that's wrong. And Paul's just amazed at that. They're oblivious to their own need. They're worried about everybody else. If you're worried about me, give me the money I need to fix my problems. I'm not that worried about you. I'm just, I'm just concerned. Is all. I'm not really worried about you. There's a difference there somewhere. So they busy themselves in judging other people, helping them grow spiritually. Nothing wrong with that if you do it right. So this is another example in this verse here, the large problem that is never very far off and that's the thing about human pride and conceit. Therein lies the problems. Remember the Jews had it? 
We got all these things. We don't need Jesus. We got everything. The Gentiles, oh, we got this. We got everything. You know, we saw both of that back in the past few, few chapters there. Paul had to deal with this pride and conceit. So did God. And we do today. All the earlier chapters, the inclusion of all under sin, and the great emphasis throughout this chapter, or this book about you can't earn your way to heaven, you can't work for it, you can't do anything for it, it's grace. He had to work, deal with that, and now he has to get rid of this emerging conceit. Jews say, we're better, we got all these holidays, we really love God. Gentiles say, we don't, we don't have that. But we have hamburgers. We can do whatever we wanted. You know, it was a strife that was there. Days and dietary things. They had to fight about your strife in the church. And Paul wasn't going to solve the problem. The pro he solved the problem by telling you how to deal with the problem. Don't let it defeat you. We get later on here in a couple more verses here. I don't know if we get to today or not. But talk about Christian liberty. Okay? Now... So remember, the, look at chapter 12, verse number 16 back in, in, in Romans, a couple chapters back. 12, 16. Paul kind of gives a warning here. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Be not wise in your own conceits. You're getting ready for a fall. And this still rings true of the problem Paul's trying to address today. It's a universal human trait. We are born that way. It's hard to get rid of it. I mean, I, I try to be humble, but it's just really, really hard. <laughs> These visitors walk in. Who's this guy? <laughs> I'm just giving an example, brother. <laughs> And I came to the wrong church today. <laughs> but it's those guys that, you know, all it's about is them. It still rings true today. And Paul's trying to deal with that. He talks about in verse number 10, the judgment seat of Christ. You know what the antidote to conceit is? The judgment seat of Christ. Who's Jesus dealing with? You. And you can't point to anybody else. What did you do? Let's talk about you. What was your purposes? What was your hidden agenda? What was your method? Why, why did you do this? How did you think this? He's dealing with you. Conceit's gone. You see Jesus, you're, you're melted. That's right. I mean, you're, you know, you're not there anymore. It's just... Deals with conceit. We're being self, we're, we're being judged by someone that can judge us, the official judge of us. Look at 2 Corinthians again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may 
receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. I've heard these guys say, I'm going to tell God. No, you're not. <laughs> Try it. You know, you're not going to tell God anything. We're going to have to give an account of ourselves. I worry about that. Do you worry about that? I confess my sin, but I worry about that some sometimes because I know me. I worry about me sometimes. Whoa, I made a bad decision. I had a bad motive here. And I remember that stuff. I've confessed it, but well, I worry about it. I gotta deal with it. How do you explain that to God? Well, you know, it was about me. You know, whatever it was. But the antidote for conceit is a judgment seat. So the direction through verse number 12 here is stop judging your brother. Who's the judge? God, God is. Verse 11, for it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Uh, this quotation is actually from Isaiah 45, 23. I'll just read it. Isaiah 45, 23. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. You can think of all the mighty folks we have in our nation, but if they don't get saved, they're going to bow before God. They're going to be on a bend knee and confess. You know, all these politicians that are big shots, they know everything, and don't believe in God, and don't care about God, one day, if they don't get saved, going to be bad you know, they're going to confess god but christians are too we gotta everybody's going to be for, is, is is going to confess god you can do it now while you're alive here on earth or you can do it later i prefer to do it now amen because after they do it later what happens to them go to hell Philippians chapter 2, verse, verses 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God kind of puts the, the humbling on everybody. Right? Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can fight all you want to, but you know, one day. You got the answer for it. I'm going to ask what your motives were. What was in your heart? And I'm going to want an explanation from you. I think about it sometimes. What am I going to say? I have no idea what I'm going to say. I'm going to stammer and stutter and be scared. and you know, I don't know, I don't know how to explain things like that. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, I know that, Kurt. But, you know, come on. <laughs> it's hard to think about. Well, we need to think about it sometimes, don't we? While we're judging others, God is judging us. And we've got to be careful about that. So Paul used these examples in, four, in chapter 14, the dietary things, the, the observed day thing. Those are examples on how we should handle ourselves. And we're going to get more into that as we go. Because somewhere, at some time, there's Christian liberty, but don't say, I got Christian liberty, I can do it. You've got to be careful for them other folks, too. You got Christian liberty, but there's an asterisk by it. That's right. You can't hurt anybody else. So 
We'll get to that as we go. Verse 11 says, As I live, I have sworn by myself, Christ is speaking here, every person is going to confess or acknowledge him as God and admit his right to universal providence. God's in control. So verse number 12, So every one of us shall give, a, an account, shall give account of himself to God. So give account of himself. You know, Lord, my wife, bless her heart. She says that a lot now, Sal. Bless her heart. You know, they, um, you know, you're going to give your own account. You can't give someone else's consent account. Uh, it's, it's your account. God's talking to you. So every one of who? Did Paul say, y'all? He said us. He included himself. There's other verses that talk about all men, but Paul's talking about Christians here. Amen. Talking to this church in Rome, these Christians. So give account of their character and conduct, their words and their actions, their plans and their purposes. And that day, every work and purpose shall be brought forth and tried by God's unerring standard of justice. We shall be called to so fearful account with God, we should not be engaged in condemning everybody else. What about us? What about me? I need to worry about me. So we should examine whether we're prepared and concentrate on our account with joy and not with grief. No, I don't want to back up to the to Jesus as I'm sorry, you know, I want to walk up there and bow down and and you know try my best to account for things, but I you know I understand that I've been wrong a lot. I was wrong just the other year. I remember I remember what it was a while a while ago, but you know it happens. It was, just happens. This judgment is going to be conducted by Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 5, verse 22. John chapter 5, verse number 22. For the Father judgeth who? No man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Look at verse number 27 down there. And hath given him, who's him? Jesus. Jesus. Authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Acts chapter 7 verse 31. Acts chapter 7 verse number 31. Verse 31, here we go. No, I'm sorry, Acts 17, verse 31. I'm looking at that. That's not what that's my notes. Acts 17, 31, sorry. So I did something wrong. It's been years, but I did it. Acts 17, verse 31, here we go. This makes more sense according to my notes. Because he hath appointed a day... In which he, 
will judge the world in righteousness, and, and uh, by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Jesus is going to do the judging. That's right. Amen. He's going to do the judging. <clears throat> the judge is divine. Jesus Christ is God. And he's the divine judge. Verse 13, back in Romans. i got to quit pretty soon. Verse 13. We read those two verses. Verse 13 says, Let us therefore, because of what he just said, judge one another. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. We're going to start talking about Christian liberty now. Don't put a stumbling stone or an <laughs> obstacle in front of your brother. Amen. Let us, again, Paul's including himself, us are Christians. Don't judge another. Don't put a stumbling block. A stumbling block literally means anything laid in a man's path. In which he may fall. In the scriptures, the, uh, the word is commonly used in a figurative sense to symbolize anything that may cause somebody to sin. Sinning is falling. Do you leap from grace when you sin? What do you do? Fall. He leaped into sin. No, he fell. Okay? He fell. So he's talking about here something that causes somebody else to fall. So in this verse and to the end of the chapter, Paul speaks about the proper use of our Christian liberty. Having shown that it is sinful to judge other people concerning immaterial things that are, you know, inessential, totally without any merit at all. He talks about his governing principle here. Love your brother and sister in Christ. Love them. There's no better rule to promote peace than end strife. Love one another. Resolve to live peaceably. Don't resolve everybody else's perceived problems. Resolve to live peaceably. And we'll look next week more into this Christian liberty... And, and how we're supposed to act. I've got liberty so I can eat what I want to eat around anybody. No, you can't. Be careful with that. There's some cautions here. So next week we'll talk about those. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the lesson. Father, pray God you bless pastors he preachers. Father, pray, Lord, you bring visitors, Lord, and, or more visitors, Lord. Pray God you bless today in Jesus' name. Amen.